it's just stunning where they are in in Oregon. It's absolutely glorious. Camera pulled away shows, of course, the blue blue sky. We can do a lot with filming, but here it's pulling away again from one of their contraptions. Uh, you've got this beautiful creek running through the set, running running through the location, and you've got green green beautiful trees around it. You've got these mountains in the background. It's gorgeous. Oh, there's a close-up of Clint. That's good with the water behind. That's He's very pretty. He's a pretty guy. And this one, he's singing with his uh, his lovely baritone. Yeah, I like his voice. November 16th, 2017, and you are at the Hollywood Theater watching Clint Eastwood singing to the trees like a goddamned hippie. This is some kick-ass Oregon history. Welcome to another installment of Kick-Ass Oregon History, a survey created by the Geeked Out History folks at orhistory.com. I'm your host, Andy Lindbergh, and under the guidance of resident historian Doug Kent Crispin, we profile only the most badass, captivating Oregon stories. It's all Oregon sex, drugs, rock and roll, and earth-shattering, devastating destruction. Basically, the good stuff. Kick-Ass Oregon History is a presentation of ORHistory.com and is supported by listeners like you. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit ORHistory.com and click Donate. This podcast was made possible by our generous sponsors, Oregon Film, Trailhead Coffee, Dogwood Distilling, Freen Family Brewers, and the Geyser Grand Hotel in Baker City, Oregon. These Oregon businesses support kick-ass Oregon history, so you should buy their quality Oregon products over and over and over again. Thanks again to Oregon Film, Trailhead Coffee, Dogwood Distilling, Freem Family Brewers, and the Geyser Grand Hotel in Baker City.
In 2018, we will be coming upon a film milestone in Oregon. In 1968, a cinematic masterpiece was filmed in the Beaver State. And that is not hyperbole. Paint Your Wagon was a massive film, produced by Paramount Pictures, and Paramount was all in. And so was the state of Oregon. This film was the genesis of Oregon Film, the group from the governor's office that promotes the development of film and television in the state. While Paint Your Wagon may not often be on your minds, its legacy can be traced to Portlandia and the librarians, to Raquel Welch in Kansas City Bomber and Benicio Del Toro in The Hunted. Wow, those are some shitty films. Oh. <clears throat> Leading up to this commemoration, the resident historian and the ghost host decided to hit the road, as we are wont to do. We decided to become paint-your-wagon tourists and see all that we could see that related to the film in and around Baker City, visit locations, talk to folks, and drink beer in the Wallawas, immerse ourselves, oh, and podcast it all. But we also wanted to consider how we should celebrate this film as we approach 50 years, and how it might be remembered going forward, if at all. You want to see sin of the wickedest kind? Here it is. You want to see virtue left behind? Here it is. Sodom was vice and vice versa. You want to see where the vice is worse? Here it is. I mean, here it is. You want to live life in the rottenest way? Here it is. Women the location where most of Paint Your Wagon was filmed is in the stunning Wallowa Whitman National Forest. The aged film set is about a two-hour drive from Baker City along some pretty steep and narrow roads. It is on the east fork of Eagle Creek, right above where it intersects with Jack Creek, and the location is well marked with a shit brown Forest Service sign that proclaims, Paint Your Wagon Movie Site, filmed in 1968. In June of 1968, KOIN's Gary Hamilton introduced it quite well. Two brand new communities, both containing definite early American architecture, are springing up on the banks of Eagle Creek, northeast of Baker, Oregon. This one is called No Name City. It's the set, or half of it, for a movie production of the Broadway musical Paint Your Wagon. The film's producer, Alan Lerner, explained the placement of the site. Well, we were very fortunate in finding it. Of course, the weather's ideal, as you can see. I understand there's less rainfall on this side of the mountains than there is on the western side of, of Oregon. And secondly, or perhaps it was the first consideration, we had to find, we had very unique requirements that we had to find. We had to, this, this is the story of the life and death of a ghost town during the gold rush. And we had to uh, find a, a spot 
where there would be two plateaus, one where we could build a city as it was in the beginning, and then another where we could build a city as it was when it was, when it was flourishing. And yet, shoot it so that you would see the same background. So we had to have a mountain here, and then a plateau here, and a plateau here, and we're very fortunate to find this. Paramount built a fairly large Old West town called No Name City for the cost of $2 million. The 700 people, cast and crew, had to be transported both ways every day, adding a massive cost to the film's huge budget. Logistics for such a huge remote site were complex. Today, the site is idyllic, and a camper who comes upon it is quite fortunate as well. Well, except for the occasional tree being cut down a few hundred yards away. So, what do you do when you're a painter wagon tourist? Why, you pop open a few frames, pull out the laptop and the camp chairs, and watch paint your wagon right where it was filmed. International. They have goofy voices just like our podcast. Yes, they do. I'll have to mine some of these. Oh, Brandenburg Gate. Oh, weird. Hmm, Japanese art and a Chinese coolie. Not entirely accurate. <laughs> sat down with a laptop and a DVD from the Multnomah County Library of Paint Your Wagon, the widescreen edition, and watched it at the site where it was filmed. So probably the first time that where it was filmed was shown the movie. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put my, my mark down on that, that we were the first to show the site of Paint Your Wagon, Paint Your Wagon. Um, and I widescreen, no less. Widescreen, and I think the site was as underwhelmed <laughs> as we were. We camped two nights at the film site. It was rainy and cold the first night, and we woke to snow-covered peaks towering above us. We warmed up with steaming cups of trailhead coffee. Rain and sun and rain and sun followed, and we had several days to explore both sides of the creek that ran through the site of no-name city. The interesting thing is when you come out here, um, there are some earthenworks still, I guess you would call them that, some construction debris, there's rebar, there are a couple of sections of cinder block walls that I think we agree are the sides of the trenches that they collapse in the finale. I, I agree. For the symbol, they're supposed to look like the tunnels. Yes. Under yeah, no the, name city. Yeah, the insides, you know, we'll have pictures on the website, but the insides have been dressed to look like earthen walls. Little rocks set yeah. in them and shit. Yep. And then, you know, there are a couple of big, like, anchor points that we found. 
we've yet to wade across the river because it's probably about 47 degrees and raining right now. Uh, <laughs> but it was cool because at first when we saw them, we thought, oh, well, that's those walls there. Maybe that was the foundation of a bridge or a building. And there are some spots where there are there's poured reinforced cement that could have been the foundation of a building. But the stream course has changed a lot in 50 years, as you would imagine. And so there's um, a lot of stuff that has washed away. And yeah, and it's not like you come out here and you're camping around ruins. I mean, you, no, have, to, no. you have to look yeah. to find these uh, cinder block foundations and tunnels and, and so on that, that are still left here. Well, and spoiler alert. They destroy the town in the finale of the movie. So all of the buildings they built, they collapsed. And, of course, many of them were just facades and they were built to collapse. But um, it's not like apparently you can go in the Tunisian desert and still see the sets from Star Wars that they built there, recognizable as the sets from Star Wars. This isn't the case. This if you hadn't told me that a movie had been filmed here, I would have thought that there was an old logging camp or an old forest service facility here. There's nothing to indicate that what happened here happened here. But it is pretty. And yeah. it was really cool to be watching the movie, press pause, take a few steps out, and be like, holy shit, that's the view in the movie right there. Away out here, they got a name for rain and wind and fire. The rain is Tess, the fire's Joe, and they call the wind Mariah. The stars around and sends the clouds a flying. Mariah makes the mountains sound like folks were up there dying. They call After we had had such a wonderful opportunity to really dig into the location of the movie, we went back into Baker City to speak with a few folks about the film and the relevance of Paint Your Wagon to their community. Our first stop was at the Geyser Grand Hotel, a sponsor of this podcast. If you're geeked out on Oregon history, then there are a few things that you absolutely have to check out in Baker City. One of those is the giant-ass 80-ounce gold nugget at the U.S. Bank. The other is the Geyser Grand Hotel. Owner Barbara Sidway has done a fantastic job at renovating this historic hotel, and she has a solid appreciation for the historic responsibility that she has taken on. If you have the means, you should absolutely spend a night or two at the hotel. But even if you aren't able to, Barbara runs docent tours of the hotel twice a week. We'll link to their website in this episode's show notes on orhistory.com. Barbara explained the historical significance of Baker City to us. So how old is the hotel? It's built in 1889. 
And that was a time of great exuberance in architecture and design. That's when the Tour Eiffel was built, the Empress in Victoria, the Palace in San Francisco. So this made sense. And at the time, this city was the Paris of the West, truly. This was on par with the San Francisco in terms of its savoir-faire and its capacity for, to put capital together and so on. When we, we were bigger and more important by far than Spokane, than Seattle, than Portland. The whole three-state area looked to Baker City for their French gowns and to get a loan to uh, parlay their gold find into an actual money-making enterprise. Because if you're out here prospecting, woohoo! you struck it rich, that's, that's the beginning of the story. You've got to get the capital, hire the goods, and get the equipment, and make it happen. And this is where all that action happened. So that's where the wealth happened here. People will say, oh, it's a gold rush town. Where was the mine? Yeah, that's not the story. The mines were everywhere. This is where they, the capitalists got their piece of the pie. In 1968, Governor Tom McCall wanted film production companies to know that Oregon had everything they needed for a big budget feature. Oregon Film came from this initiative. When the film companies were here, they spent a shit ton of their budgets in our Oregon communities, like Paint Your Wagon did in Baker City. As a reporter wrote of Paramount, The company's impact on Baker's economy was like a bomb that scattered money. It is generally accepted that Paramount dropped $5 million in Baker, but Jamie Stoner of U.S. National Bank said as much as 70 to 80% of the film's budget was spent in Oregon. 250 horses and mules were rented, and every air conditioner in town was purchased. All of the hotels were rented out, as well as many private residences. The beautiful Geyser Grand Hotel is pregnant with Paint Your Wagon history. Now the crew or the cast stayed here, right? Correct, so and in rental homes throughout the community also. So, what was the building? What was the hotel like in 1968? So, <laughs> it wasn't uh, in good repair. It was in really poor repair. In fact, after the cast checked out, they said condemned. Nobody else gets to stay here. The last people that stayed here was the movie, and then it was sort of boarded up and continued to decay, 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 until in 1993, a demolition order was issued by the city, too much, not safe, could fall down, could release. And then the community said, we've got, we've got to save this, we've got to save this. We were over in the uh, west side, the valley, and had done award-winning restorations, and they lured us out here, and then we saved the building, and here we are. But part of the lure is actually a paint your wagon story. Um, <clears throat> so my husband and business partner, who is now, what is he, 65, um, saw Paint Your Wagon as a kid and was enamored with that whole different world. He was living in Florida at the time. And said, when he came out of the, the movie, he remember saying to his, his girlfriend, date, someday I'm going to live where that movie was filmed. I'm going to be there. I'm going to do it. And I never knew this. Um, so I'm taking these calls from, from Timothy saying, you've got to save the building. And he's, he's plying me with different stories about how I really need to come out there. And at one point on the list of t 
two dozen reasons I needed to come see it was, you know, the movie Paint Your Wagon was filmed here. And I said, really? That's funny. And I just mentioned it to my, to my husband, who was even more reluctant than I to venture out this far, <laughs> you know. And um, he said, okay, we're going. That's it. So that, that was the, the coup de grace that made us come out here. And The Geyser Grand is certainly Paint Your Wagon Ground Zero, if there is such a thing. The DVD library in the lobby has three copies. Since we own our own, the <clears throat> widescreen edition, we did not need to check one out. Are, well, I guess we are two of them, but are there Paint Your Wagon tourists? Do people come here interested in Paint Your Wagon? They want to see the scenes, the culture, that sort of thing? There's some of that, but the movie has been so, it's, it's gotten to be so old now that it's not so much, you know, people that are devotees. But the other day, um, a man came in to, was checking into the lobby and uh, overheard someone checking out the Paint Your Wagon movie, which is by far the most popular movie in our collection of a thousand movies. Um, and he said, Paint Your, then he heard people talking and he said, Paint Your Wagon was filmed here? And he started like in a really loud voice saying, that's my favorite movie ever, I can't believe it, I had no idea. And his wife was just embarrassed and saying, please, you know, please, you know, curb your enthusiasm, this is okay. But he was just so excited to, to get that connection because so many people that are around like, I don't know, 60-ish in their 60s now, we're seeing that movie at a time of sort of awakening and looking at that as, oh, there's, there's this place of great beauty and adventure. And that really sparked a lot of people's imagination and they've remembered it through the decades. Next, we went to the Baker Heritage Museum to chat with the director, Carly Annable. The museum is host to one of the most bitchin' dioramas in the state. The no-name city scale replica built by Paramount. The museum had just received a shipment of painter wagon ephemera and we had a chance to dig through the drawings and posters and such. Sweden and Belgian poster, um, Italian and whatnot. I haven't, these literally came in like an hour ago. Wow. So I haven't even opened any of these up, which now I'm just intrigued. <laughs> and then, of course, these are Lee Marvin's pants. Wow. Which, I almost don't want to touch can, them. Can I take them out yeah, of the, go for out it. box? And... Yeah, the guy said that. Um, he Ooh. had found them on eBay because some art house had them. And um, he was like, I'm not 100% sure they're Lee Marvin's pants, but like that would be a very odd... I say, Lee Marvin is a lot taller <laughs> yeah. than I expected. Because normally you see a costume from a film star and they're like, here are Tom Cruise's pants. Yeah. And they're like... Will you model big. Lee Marvin's pants, please? <laughs> I guess my first question would be about kind of the historiography of kind of what you've got here. So how does the museum interpret Paint Your Wagon? Mm -hmm. So the museum interprets Paint Your Wagon just kind of in that, that it is our history. Um, it draws from so much stuff that is actually part of why Baker City exists. I mean, gold mining is in our blood. Uh, so there's a big affinity for the movie in that sense, but also just because it was such a huge part of Baker's community in that summer. Um, like I was saying before, we had people that worked on set as carpenters. Um, we had 
people, the two babies that they used for the filming were local Baker babies that got treated like they were the stars. It, the stories that you hear are absolutely fascinating. Um, so what we try to do at the museum is kind of tie in all of that to tie in the, the gold mining history and then also just how important this was economically um, just and fun for the area. So would I need to know about the film if I was coming into the museum? For example, say I was a millennial that never saw Paint Your Wagon. For the record, I'm not a millennial. I don't know if you knew that or not. But, um, you know, if I'd never seen it and I came into the museum, what do you think I would walk away with? Um, with our exhibit as it is right now, um, you'd probably walk away with the idea that they chose this absolutely picturesque part of the country and decided that, you know, this is a really good example of what it would have naturally looked like back in that time frame. Um, with our new exhibit that we have coming out, I'd like to hope that they'd come out with a little bit more than just that. Um, so in the next year or so, we should have a lot of, lot of really great interpretation with that. In March of 2018, the Baker Heritage Museum will open their new Paint Your Wagon exhibit, which will be a living, breathing presentation with lots of changing content. Carly told us some of the museum's potential programming and Paramount's possible participation. So I was speaking to someone there a couple weeks ago because we're trying to figure out if they'll lend us some items for the exhibit, and they're actually really excited to work with us. Um, they're really excited to work with us and they're hopeful that they'll be able to bring some stuff and then also bring a costume archivist in to do kind of kind of like what you guys are doing at the Hollywood Theater to do a showing but then have someone come in and give a little bit of context to it. Um, so that should be a lot of fun, um, but it comes down to whether or not we can afford it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what sort of 50th anniversary events do you have planned for the Baker Heritage Museum? Right now, we don't have that many. Um, we plan on doing some sort of kickoff when we launch the new exhibit, um, and we've been putting out feelers. We've kind of talked before about the fact that we've been talking to Paramount to see if we can get them to kind of help us out with this a little bit. Um, and we've also been working with the Oregon Film Association because it's their 50th anniversary as well. Um, so I have a lot of dreams of doing musical events and screenings and live interpretations, um, but that's stuff that's still in planning <laughs> but lee marvin's pants are bound to get kind of a, a high high priority real estate oh, here honestly if i could do an entire event that's just around like the apparel from the mining and then just put a big center stage on lee marvin's pants that would i i could walk away from this job happy <laughs> god made the mountain god made the sky God made the people, God knows why. He fixed up the planet as best as he could. Then in come the people and gum it up good. The first thing you know, they civilized the foothills and everywhere he put hills, the mountains and valleys. Paint your wagon is a problematic film in more ways than one. Like many movies from the era, it is sexist as fuck. It is misogynistic, and while not blatantly racist, with very few exceptions, no-name city in the film is populated by white dudes. Diversity mainly comes from other men of more direct European ancestry. So, 
there's a lot of themes in this film that are kind of dated and I would say offensive. You know, they auction a woman, um, they kidnap the tarts as they call them or the mm -hmm. prostitutes we're assuming against their will. How do, do we deal with that when we talk about the 50th? Do we kind of gloss that over? What are, what are we going to do with these kind of weird, let's just say some of these weird themes that are in the film? Yeah, the way that I am planning and kind of approaching it, especially with our interpretation of the exhibit and just talking with guests, is to acknowledge that like that that is a part of the film and to also kind of acknowledge that in that time frame, it doesn't make it okay, but that was definitely a part of the culture and the part of what was going on. Um, so being able to kind of identify that and contextualize it, I think is helpful going you forward. Know. I picked up and blow. The first thing you know. Carly also had some insight on how the film site has changed and the task of reconstructing the history of the location. Um, so, Doug, you can see in some of these pictures here, like this one in particular, you know, here's mm -hmm. that, yeah. that peak. We were just surprised because of the way that the stream bed has moved itself now and the trees, established trees on the other side, we were surprised how much was filmed on the other side of the river. Really? Or I guess it's Eagle Creek, other side of Eagle yeah. Creek from where we were. Um, but when you look, the trees are all about 50 years old. Yeah. And um, Well, and you can't trust all the trees that were in the in the filming because mm -hmm. like even the big pine tree that they have in like the first dance scene um that was taken from someplace else plopped down there and then i guess the um the director didn't like how it obscured the view of the mountains behind it so you had guys go climb it and pull, pull all of the and trim, the, the, trim the, the stuff off of it <laughs> Um, and then all of the stumps that they had on there, that's what, like, another thing Larry was telling me is that those were all styrofoam. Um, so, uh -huh. gotcha. okay. so they altered the landscape yeah. pretty yes. significantly. Yeah. Part of the legacy of Painter Wagon and Baker City's heritage is all the weird stories that have been left behind and retold and retold. Apparently, Elizabeth's house, they had it in multiple places so there was one that like wasn't necessarily on the paint your wagon site um and there was one closer to town and they had one in back in hollywood another fun story about paint your wagon um have you seen our carriage in town shiny white carriage with big pressure on horses the gentleman who has that carriage in that business his name is ron colton was a teenager when they were filming paint your wagon but he was a really good horse handler so in the scene in the movie where lee marvin is is galloping through the meadow with the horse from S Sonoma. That's Ron underneath Lee Marvin actually managing the horses. And Lee is sitting above with just the, the reins, loose. Um, did you guys hear about the bear? Has anyone no, told you the no, stories about the bear? About so the bear. you know how in the film, they well, I don't think they actually show it, but they have the signage up for a bear versus a bull fight. Well, they actually had a bear and a bull on site because they had intent. I believe they might have filmed it and then didn't use it or something like that. But they had the bear, and I guess beforehand they brought the bear out to the bars in Baker and allowed guys to wrestle with it. Um, 
And Larry, who I was talking to the other day, he was saying that one of his friends actually wrestled the bear, and he asked him, like, how was it? And the guy was like, oh, well, the bear wrestled really well, but the worst part was the breath. And the funny part, the most funny part about all of it was that when he was telling the, retelling the story to someone else on the set, Lee Marvin hit him on the shoulder and said, I know that girl. I used to take her out. <laughs> <laughs> And then they went and had lunch together. Yep. But, uh, yeah, so the, honestly, Baker is just filled with, like, tons and tons of those little tiny anecdotal stories that just, if anything, it'll, like, as long as, like, Clint Eastwood keeps making movies that, like, people can still watch, those stories are going to keep being relevant and keep being passed down. And, of course, you can't talk about Paint Your Wagon and not mention the hippies. There's, you know, Paint Your Wagon changed the culture of this town forever. Um, not only did you have the Hollywood stars coming in and all of that sort of cultural influence, but you had, um, it was the summer of 68, the summer of love, and they had a troop of hippies that followed the cast around, and they would get odd jobs, and they would sleep out under the stars, and they were in town, and they were, you know, dancing naked in the wilderness and doing things that the community found to be shocking and uh, eye-popping and there was conversation in the community about what are we going to do about these hippies and so on and then in August there was an early snowfall and they all left <laughs> and so it was the cultural conflict was resolved by by our weather <laughs> that happens to hippies sometimes yeah, yes yes <laughs> as one local related in 1969 was a lot of talk of trouble up there, but most of that was just plain nonsense. There were a few fights, but there are fights every weekend anyway. There was a little hippie hunting on the weekend sometime. A gang of local kids would try to give them haircuts and throw a scare into them, but we've had more fights on a good 4th of July than we had that whole summer. As you well know by now, dear ass kicker, this film is about 50 years old. We were curious about the living legacy of the film, once those who had participated in the project are no longer living. I went into this when I started doing research thinking that there was going to be a little bit more of a butting heads because people always talk about the fact that it was the it was the counterculture time. There was a bunch of hippies that came to Eastern Oregon as extras that we're bringing in things and ideas that probably were not very prevalent in the area at the time. Um, so I was really expecting to hear more people talk about a difference of opinions or views, and it wasn't. Everyone just thought it was really exciting and different and cool to be able to be seeing these people with different views and to interact with people that were different than them. Um, so it's been really cool to hear people talk about their experiences from that. When the current generation goes on to kind of the happier Wallawas in the sky, mm -hmm. how do you think people will remember Paint Your Wagon? How will Baker City residents remember this film that kind of didn't have that direct connection with it? Honestly, I'm not sure. Um, I've talked to a lot of people that are in my general millennial age range, um, and most people kind of talk about it in a sense that, uh, yes, it highlighted kind of part of our history in an abstract way, um, and it identified how beautiful the area was, and it brought a lot of people from outside of Baker and Eastern Oregon in to view the area. So I think there's a lot of people that are grateful for that. 
Um, but I'm not sure because most people I do talk to that are in that in that age bracket, they do identify some of the more offensive themes of it. So honestly, I see it more as a, a conversation piece going forward um, than necessarily anything else. So then as we, you know, unfortunately, of course, if, if at 50 years, if you worked on or remember that movie, you were more than 20, you know, so those people are passing on, mm -hmm. what's going to happen to kind of that paint your wagon consciousness in Baker City? I well, mean, is it going to die off? I mean, I hate to use that term, but... I think it's always going to be part of our history. Um, and we are going to remember it and commemorate it in little ways and hopefully meaningful ways too. For example, the miniature set of the movie Paint Your Wagon is in the Baker Heritage Museum. That's always going to be there. Um, Ron Colton's kids will be telling the story of how he did the horses. And we'll still be telling the story about how the, the hippies almost changed us more than we thought. You know, so it's, it's always going to be part of us for sure. Uh, we're talking about the diorama and we're actually going to go to the museum later. And that's kind of one of our favorite corners of that museum for sure. Mm -hmm. Is there any other kind of public commemoration of Paint Your Wagon that you can think of in Baker City? Are there any plaques or murals or is it pretty much just that section in the museum? Just that section in the museum. For some time we would do outdoor screenings of Paint Your Wagon once a year. Um, that hasn't, you know, perhaps that needs to be, uh, needs to come back. Paint Your Wagon had a budget of 18 to 20 million dollars, and some have said that Paramount spent even more than that. At the time, it was one of the most expensive films ever made. It was a spectacle. It was grand in every sense of the word. So 50 years on, what happens to that physical celluloid legacy? We visited with Matthew Cowan, archivist for photography and moving images at the Oregon Historical Society. We wanted to see if the archives he manages had a film copy of Paint Your Wagon available to view. Matthew discussed the reality of archiving 50-year-old motion pictures. And Paint Your Wagon was uh, shot on 65, printed to 70, and then also a lot of theatrical prints were on 35 millimeters, so we're talking bigger much larger actual film prints. Um, so in that way, we don't have that type of stuff. What we have in terms of Paint Your Wagon is kind of um, what I've seen photographs of Lee Marvin uh, during his time on the set, or there's one we have of Wayne Morse, who was an extra, so he's dressed up in costume riding on the back of a horse, that type of thing. Those often came from the newspaper collections, the Oregonian or the Oregon Journal, if you will. So there aren't a lot of current 70 millimeter prints available of Paint Your Wagon kind of worldwide is what it sounds like. From what I understand, there are no good prints of the 70 millimeter kind of, I think what they call the extended roadshow um, edition, which if anybody had seen the 
um, the recent Tarantino film, he did a road show of the Django Unchained, I think, which, you know, there was included musical breaks. It was kind of a more theatrical presentation. They did that same thing with Paint Your Wagon. Um, but again, from what I understand from other sources is it's been very difficult to find a uh, in good condition, projectionable 70 millimeter print of Paint Your Wagon. Uh, I did hear perhaps that there is one in Norway, um, but I believe that it is not available for uh, lending, which is common when you get into that kind of thing. You have to not only find the print, but then find them somebody who'd be willing to ship it to you and that you have the means to project it, um, whatever that might be. Is Paint Your Wagon a good film? Everyone has an opinion, it seems. We spoke with Barbara from The Geyser Grand and asked her this question. Is Paint Your Wagon a good movie? Yes, because my, my perspective on art is a good art is thought-provoking and uh, conversation-starting and tells uh, a narrative that is fresh and inventive. And I'd say Paint Your Wagon meets those criteria, wouldn't you? It is interesting to consider Lee Marvin's thoughts on the film. Mind you, before it was completed. I'm extremely excited about it. I think it's, uh, you know, potentially one of the best things I've ever read. And uh, along with being excited, I guess I'm rather nervous like they are too. Is Paint Your Wagon a good movie? So I have to be completely honest that I watched this movie for the first time last night. <laughs> um, and watching it, I was thoroughly entertained. Um, I, I don't know if I would watch it again if I, had, didn't, if I didn't run a museum that focused on the movie. Um, but I got a kick out of it. And my friend that I watched it with, who actually works for the Bureau of Land Management and does works with minors, she was cracking up over the mining law portion of the wedding. And I, yeah, I think it's good, if anything, if you're into mining. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't the best answer. <laughs> we pose the question to Dr. Sarah Anson Vox, film scholar and Clint Eastwood biographer at Northwestern. Much like on our camping trip to No Name City, Dr. Vox was viewing the film as we spoke by telephone. Is Paint Your Wagon a bad movie? <laughs> you want to know how much time and energy you want to spend uh, pulling something together. It depends on the definition of bad. If you say bad, it's painful to watch it. Yes, it's painful to watch it. Um, especially if you know, um, if you know Eastwood's work. I'm thinking just, they're singing on the soundtrack now here at the beginning where they found gold in the grave. Uh, and I'm remembering Bird, which is, the structure is like a jazz composition. And you get fragmented narrative, but it all connects, and the music is is absolutely glorious. This is, it's just kind of semi-amusing. So was Paint Your Wagon a good film? No. I don't think it was. Uh, you know, there was a a real commitment to something to um, authenticity 
as far as getting all the way out here and building all the sets here and having the beautiful backgrounds. Although the movie was shot entirely on some spectacularly beautiful Oregon locations, the scenery never has much more effect than would theatrical backdrops. I kind of agree that, you know, they could have shot it in California. They could have shot it on sound stages. But instead, they shot the vast majority of it where we're sitting. Um... And it's interesting because being here, sitting here, there's nothing left. There's some cinder blocks and rebar. And I feel like the film is the same way. There's nothing left of that film that contributes to us. Because the music isn't any good. There's one song they call The Wind Mariah, which you can find better recordings of in the, you know, in any of the soundtracks other than the film. Um, I don't think it, there's nothing left. It didn't, the whole polygamy plot didn't predict that in 2018, everybody would be having multiple wives or husbands. But there is Polly Portland, so. Yeah, but Portland is an outlier Portland is a fantasy world. It's not a real thing. You can't do what you do in Portland in other places. Um, I won't get into the whole how big of a bullshit lie Portland is. <laughs> the streets are full of homeless people, you assholes. We framed a similar question to Matthew Cowan of the Oregon Historical Society. It, just because it's 50 years old, does it have to be commemorated? You know what I mean? Like, are, do we have to commemorate every bad movie? I mean, again, that's a great question. Uh, I, I think there are, um, you know, I don't think you need to commemorate every bad movie, but I think there's a lot of great movies out there that some would consider bad. I lament all the time in the nature in the world of uh, netflix and stuff you basically you don't know you know you just kind of have to go and find your dumb thing and there's nothing involved but you know when i would go visit dale at video paradise on cape cod growing up i'd go in and i'd wander the stores looking at the vhs cover art and i would specifically choose movies to rent based on like how bad the cover art was jack frost being my prime example with the you know the hologram of the um the crazy snowman uh, but it's now hard for people to discover that kind of thing in this day and age. So in some ways, since the, the digital content and people basically being told what to watch and they don't have a lot of means to find or discover things themselves, I think there is value in kind of commemorating or celebrating certain things. Uh, and you can contextualize however that you want, but then it kind of brings it to new eyes and people realize that, hey, you know, whatever it was, 1969, there was a, you know, arguably awful very long musical that was shot here in Oregon and there's not a lot of those and then just separate from that just in terms of the history of film in Oregon which goes back you know to the beginning turn of the century um, there's a lot of films that have been made here but not tons and so it's good to keep track of kind of the history of film uh, in Oregon everybody thinks of Goonies but there's also Kindergarten Cop and some other ones that are you know equally uh, noteworthy I would say. As of this recording Paint Your Wagon does not appear on searches of Hulu or Netflix VHS and DVD are your only options.
I talk to the trees, but they don't listen to me. I talk to the stars, but they never hear me. The breeze hasn't time. For a movie musical spectacle, there are some unlikely singers in Painter Wagon and some really bad songs to boot. The 1968 KOIN interview with Lee Marvin and producer Alan Lerner discusses this fact. What about working with Alan Lerner? Is this your first time? Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, certainly a revelation. He's a very exciting man to work with. You gonna be doing any singing in the show? Well, they call it singing. I, I call it uh, rat sounds, or you know, like you're stepping on a cat's tail. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I sing a number of songs. We talked to Lee Marvin earlier today, and apparently he's got a few singing chores in this uh, motion picture, and he referred to his singing as caterwauling or stepping on a cat's tail. Uh, <laughs> was he selected for something other than his vocal talents? Well, I never heard a cat that bass, I'll tell you that. He's, uh, but, uh, well, he's got a marvelous voice because it's Lee Marvin, you see. It isn't anybody else singing. He'll, if you heard him sing and didn't see the face that went with it, why well, you would know that's Lee Marvin, and that's the best thing it could be. Uh, he's very musical. He's, uh, he's a remarkably trained actor in, in every sense, and so music seems to come naturally to him. I understand there'll be some fresh music in this movie that wasn't in the Broadway play. Yes, we've, we've changed the story. It's still the basic outline of the same. It's, it's still the basic outline is the same. It is the life and death of a ghost town, but the incidents are the same and are different, and consequently we had to require new music. So Andre Previn and I have written four new songs to go with the original score. Lee Marvin was the unabashed star of Paint Your Wagon. In 1968, the Oscar-winning actor was big time and big name. He was paid $1 million for Paint Your Wagon, much more than the 600000 that Clint made. As Marvin was quoted as saying, If I had a $5 pistol and a guy offered me 10 for it, I'd be a fool not to sell it to him, right? If they're willing to pay me a million dollars a picture, baby, I'll take it. It has been reported that every time you see Ben Rumson with a bottle on screen, that Lee Marvin was drinking actual alcohol. As Marvin said of Rumson, It's the happy combination of character and self. So it's not really an acting job. It's not outing on a false face. Several scenes had to be reshot due to Mr. Marvin's drunkenness. But of course, when we think of Painter Wagon in our era, we think of Clint Eastwood. We asked film scholar and Eastwood biographer Dr. Vox some Eastwoodian questions. Clint sings in the film, and he had done a little bit of singing in his career. Uh, how, was, how was his singing regarded at the time, kind of by his contemporaries? Oh, as nice, a nice, pleasant baritone. Um, I read a few things. The appalling tale, of course, Hated, hated the movie, hated him in it, and always, always hated everything he did after that made lots of mischief. Um, I think critics who, the, the little snippets I've read, um, who thought this movie was a total disaster, um, usually remarked on how 
pleasant his voice was, and it is. The problem for me is that when he sings or when there is music, it isn't any part of the narrative flow, nor is it, say, like John Ford's real Western, where there is a message there, this is a Christian gathering, or this is um, either including the Native Americans or excluding them deliberately, or it's bringing up the Confederates, war songs. You know, there's always a reason, and Eastwood, in his own movies in his career, is completely dedicated to music being a vital part of narrative flow and of the heart of whatever it is he's he's trying to convey. He's really good at that as a musician himself. It just isn't here. And then I've read that uh, Eastwood wasn't terribly excited about the film. Do you, do you recall any statements or any commentary that he made about Paint Your Wagon? Oh, goodness. I think he was very crafty, as I recall. Um, he wanted out of it. Once he got into it, he wanted out of it. Um, because, And it was because of Logan's lack of direction. And the producer was crazy, too. I mean, he just couldn't decide whether he wanted to micromanage it or rewrite it or, you know, what are we doing here? Is it... Um, is it funny like uh, Spaghetti Westerns? Is, is that what was wrong? Um, what did he say about it? Now, let me let me recall. Yeah, he, uh, one thing I do remember, which I think is, is true to his character, um, his character as I have read it through his movies that he did, uh, and the fact that he's a philosopher and a historian, um, so he he tried to protect the director. You know, don't fire him right away. Uh, he's getting having a hard time getting going, but that's okay. Um, he liked the setting, yeah. But after that, he pulled away pretty much. You know, he I guess he got a cabin out somewhere and spent a lot of his time there, and a little romance with Gene Seberg apparently. Where does Paint Your Wagon fit in the Clint Eastwood Argosy? Where where would you place it? Yeah, I've actually thought a lot about that. I when I think about Clint Eastwood as a as a figure uh with all these iconic uh presences and manifestations, I always separate first him as an actor. And then him as a director, as a director, actor, but then as a as a director. Uh, this is so uneasy, even in the acting category. Uh, he played he he's quite, I think, a good actor, very much underappreciated. Um, he's even good in the spaghetti westerns, although he's deliberately assigned this silent role, or he he asked Leone to make him even more silent. This one, it's just hard to place. So if I had, if someone locked me in a room, I'll say, took me out to Oregon, and I was camping where you were, and said, watch all the Eastwood movies, I would watch this one last. No, I take that back. I would watch The Rookie last. That is a bad movie. So but second I, to last for Paint Your yes, Wagon. Right, 
he's, even though I'm looking at him now and he's talking to Lee Marvin and they're plotting what kind of, well, not plotting, discussing what kind of relationship they'll have and where money fits in it. Um, I look at Lee Marvin, I think of Liberty Valence, of course. I look at Clint and I think you are just adorable and your face is so expressive and gives me good grounding for what little happens with his character arc, namely that he he gets sucking in, sucked into supporting his partner's um, grand schemes and then realizes at the end when he's sitting at the gambling table that this isn't me, this isn't the way American life ought to be, um, this isn't what I want to go forward. You know, that's a really curious ending. And he, he returns to this look he has on the screen right now, kind of sweet uh, man of integrity, um, a little lost in the world, uh, seeking friendship, blah, blah, blah. I go frequently to Paris because that's where I can see every international film that delights me. Clint's movies are always playing somewhere every time I've been there, and there often are retrospectives. I have never, never seen Paint Your Wagon. Not that it hasn't been shown there, but uh, they've shown everything else. Well, you don't have to go all the way to Gay Paris to see maybe or maybe not see Paint Your Wagon. Well, shit no. You can join us on November 16th, 2017 at the Hollywood Theater at 7 p.m. That was a shameless plug. The meaningful American music of today is not originating on Broadway, but in the Fillmore's East and West, in the coffee houses, and in the anonymous cellars across the land. It may only be that the only meaningful musical films today aren't musicals at all, but movies like Easy Rider and Alice's Restaurant that employ contemporary music, the sort of out-on, put-down, inarticulate, or paranoid music that Muzak seldom pipes into elevators. The score of Paint Your Wagon is one of the best of its kind, but it's elevator stuff. The New York Times. Should you come see Paint Your Wagon on November 16th? I think you should. Of course, as we discussed, it is a problematic movie, and we don't want to gloss over that. But it's also a cornerstone of Oregon film history, and we continue to see that legacy in television and film today. And to Matthew Cowan's point about being spoon-fed corporate digital content on our laptops and phones, it's not the most accessible film out there, and I really wonder how many more times Paint Your Wagon will be shown on the big screen. So I hope you'll take this opportunity to enjoy this grand Oregon project in the Grand Hollywood Theater and help spread a little monetary love to the Baker Heritage Museum. They really do need it. And you need a little more Lee Marvin's pants in your life. Where will I go when I don't know? Where am I headed? I am certain all I know is I am on my way.
Thank you for listening, Ass Kickers. And be on the lookout for future podcasts from ORHistory.com. We hope that you agree that today's episode featured some kick-ass Oregon history. Today's podcast was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Doug Kank Crispin and Andy Lindbergh. Citations are available on request. Kick-Ass Oregon History is on Twitter at Oregon underscore history. Follow us on Instagram at Kick-Ass Oregon History. We're also on the Facebook. The email address is OregonHistorian at gmail.com. Want more Kick-Ass Oregon History in your life? Become a podcast supporter. Learn more at orhistory.com. Once again, Ask Kickers, a big thank you to this podcast's sponsors, Oregon Film, Trailhead Coffee, Dogwood Distilling, Freem Family Brewers, and the Geyser Grand Hotel in Baker City. We'll have links to all of them in this episode's show notes. But we'd ask, give them your support. They're worth it. Just don't get too close to Mr. Kank Crispin. And make sure that everyone listening to this please comes out to our November 16th showing at the Hollywood Theater. <laughs> yes, I can promise that Lee Marvin's pants will be there. You stay historic, Oregon, and kick ass. night for me the sky is much too high to shelter me when darkness falls for cabin walls would be just right for me Here it is, women and whiskey night and day. Here it is.
orhistory.com.